this week in the providence of the Lord, the Lord slowed me down a bit. I didn't leave the house for a couple of days, just felt bad, but it gave me a time to think and reflect on this calling that the Lord has given me. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, if you would, first. I want to talk to you about preaching and compelling sinners to come to Christ. Jonah chapter 3. While you're turning, let me say that the English dictionary defines the word preach and preaching to be an act of delivering a sermon or a religious address to an assembled group of people. Most anyone can do that. The general definition for preaching can be the delivering of a sermon or religious address from any type or form of religion, whether it's Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Confucianism, even atheism is a religion. Religion is defined as the belief in and worship of one with superhuman power or powers. And we live in a world where some worship Muhammad and Others Buddha and some Allah and others a Jesus who doesn't even resemble the Christ of the Scriptures in the least. And then there are some who believe and worship and trust in themselves. You know, that's really all atheism is. It's uh, the worship of self. Uh, Atheists, in essence, declared themselves to be their own God. I don't believe in God. Man is in control of his own destiny. He might as well just say man is his own God. All religion except true religion in the end reveals itself to be the worship of self. Men and women imagine themselves to be their own God and determine their own destiny. And the word preach can also mean to earnestly advocate a belief and course of action that concludes that a man is in good standing with his Creator. And every religion does that. Every single one. Did you know, I found this interesting, did you know that the religion of Jehovah Witness is led by eight men in America who claim to be the channel that Jesus Christ uses to communicate with mankind? Well, not according to the Scriptures. Not according to Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, God speaks to us through His Son, the living Word and the written Word. Not through eight men. And uh, Catholicism believes that the Pope can absolve and forgive sin because He Himself is infallible. Not according to the Scriptures. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you confess your sins to the Pope, you're just confessing them to another sinner who can't do anything about them. Mormons believe that a man can die. Now I heard this straight from one's lip. That a man can die in his sin without Christ and afterwards, afterwards someone in the Mormon church can be baptized for him in a certain pool that the Mormons have 
come up with, and by proxy, he then go to heaven. I never heard such ridiculous things. These are things that religion preaches. But what is true preaching? What is biblical preaching? Being a preacher, I want to know. And I want to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the declaring of God's grace to wretched sinners in Christ. Those who are alienated and separated from God by their sin. True preaching. Biblical preaching is to declare and proclaim the truth of God's Word. What does this book teach? What does this book tell us? The truth as to who God is. The truth as to who and what we are. And the truth as to what Christ did for wretched sinners like me and you. That's what true preaching is. That's what this book is about from cover to cover. The truth as to how God can in a way of justice, now this is so important, in a way of justice can reconcile unholy and unrighteous sinners to a perfectly holy and righteous God. The first and only time the word preach and preaching is used in the Old Testament is here in Jonah chapter 3. Look at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. <laughs> we all know what happened the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He went in the opposite direction. The Lord sent a storm. And they threw him into the waters. He was swallowed by a great fish, a whale. He was spit up upon dry ground. And remember what he said? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And now we see what happened the second time. You know, God has a way of getting His messenger's attention. <laughs> Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I found this very interesting. That word cried there in verse 4 is the same Hebrew word. It's pronounced kara. It's the same Hebrew word as the word preach in verse 2. So, we see that to preach is to cry out. It's to call out unto, to bid, to publish, to proclaim. Jonah was a messenger from God. Jonah was a servant of God. Jonah was a voice crying in Nineveh's wilderness. And that's, that's all that a preacher is. Just a voice. That's all that a preacher does. He cries. He cries unto to sinners to look unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. Jonah's message was from God. What was his message? Repent or be overthrown. Repent or be destroyed. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's what the Lord said. 
Turn from your evil ways or die. Turn ye, turn ye. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and it covered him with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, sackcloth excuse me, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the balance that is in their hands. Now, as you know, the putting on of sackcloth and ashes represents repentance and mourning over sin. It was so with the king of Nineveh, and because of that, he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. It was the king's decree. You know, it's just amazing, isn't it? That the Lord saved the king of Nineveh, and then he decreed that every man and woman and beast should fast, repent, and seek God to enable them to turn from their wicked ways. This is not something we can do on our own. This is something that God's got to enable us to do. God's got to divinely intervene. God's got to divinely uh, interrupt in our lives and give us life and give us a new heart that beats and pants after the Lord Jesus Christ. You're talking about a great awakening. This was one. And this was their attitude. Look at verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? You know, um, this, is, this is God's doing. This is at God's discretion. Whenever God sends the gospel to a city, you can rest assured that He's determined and purposed to save somebody. Yes, sir. Uh, verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. Now, here it says God repented, not after the manner of men. God has no need to repent after the manner of men. He, he, he is no, there is no sin in God. God didn't change His decree here concerning the Ninevites. He purposed to save them. That's why He sent Jonah there to begin with. And they were brought to repentance and the wrath that He threatened was averted. There was not a change of God's mind or will. This wasn't, no. But there was a change of His outward dispensation or His dispersing of wrath to them. And had the... God the sovereign potter declared in Jeremiah chapter 18, you know the chapter well about the, the potter and the clay. He said, At what instant shall I speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil, and that word means calamity and misery and sorrow and trouble, that I thought to do unto them. God has the right. 
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, the Lord Jesus was speaking one day and He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then He said this, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and against this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Friends, the purpose of preaching is to save lost sinners. It's not to teach people how to live. This is a faithful saying. You see the doctrine of Christ coming in the world to save sinners by the sacrifice of Himself? Well, it's the sum and the substance of the Gospel. It's worthy of our acceptance, for there is no other way to be saved. God's holiness, God's justice, God's love, God's mercy is given to unworthy sinners because of the faithfulness of Christ. God sent His Son in the world for the purpose of saving sinners. That's why He came. And Christ voluntarily came. Not against His will. With free consent, Christ came. He came to save sinners. And not just the worst of sinners. The most notorious sinners. The chief of sinners. Let me again remind you what's true of each of us here this morning. We all fell in Adam. We are all notorious sinners by our fall in Adam and by birth and by practice. Our sin has provoked the anger and the wrath of God. God is angry with the wicked every day. God being a holy and just God must punish sin. Our sin. Our sin's got to be punished. He must because He's a God of justice. He can by no means clear the guilty. He's too just to just sweep sin under a rug. It's got to be dealt with. He's too just to excuse and clear sin. Sin must be punished. God's law and justice cannot look the other way. The soul that sins, it shall die. No way around it. And this is the problem with man's thinking. Most don't believe, first and foremost, that they really are sinners. Oh, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not all that bad. And secondly, most don't believe that God will really punish sin. We've been um, whitewashed into thinking that God is too loves too much to punish sin. No, first and foremost, God is holy and just and He must punish sin. And Solomon, the wise man, he knew exactly why the Lord had to punish sin. Because God must remain just. Solomon wrote, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. One that justifies, one that clears, excuses, makes righteous a wicked sinner is an abomination to the Lord. 
and one that condemns, troubles, vexes, disturbs, violates, and punishes an innocent person is no different, an abomination to the Lord. They are disgusting, abhorring, repulsive, abominable to God. That's what the word abomination means. Why? It's contrary to God's holy justice. If you clear a guilty man, if you condemn an innocent man, you're going to deal with God. It's an abomination to him. You know, the Jews, they desired Barabbas. Why, he was a wicked murderer. They, they desired him to be released, and Christ, the perfect, just one, they desired him to be condemned. And I'm telling you, it was an abomination. The gospel is God transferring all the sin of all His people throughout all time. I've said that several times already this morning. Because it's important to know that uh, he, he transferred all that sin. Every sin that's ever been committed or that will be committed, God transferred to His beloved Son, his innocent Son, and He justly punished the Son of God for our sin. All of it. There's no, but there was no miscarriage of justice. And the debt of our sin was paid in full by another. Our sin wasn't excused. It was paid in full by Christ. God could then justly charge Christ's perfect righteousness to those whom He died for. God made a way that He could have mercy upon the sinner without infringing upon His honor and His justice. And that's the Gospel that we preach. Ours is the only case, now listen, where the innocent was condemned and the guilty was made free, and yet it was considered to be just and right. Isn't that amazing? Sin was paid for. Christ paid it. We were given His perfect righteousness. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Well, that's the greatest transaction that's ever happened in the, in the eternity of time. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14. This will be my text. And in verse 16, the Lord here gives us a parable. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. And in this parable, verse 16 says, Then he, the Lord Jesus, said unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even offer her much of an excuse other than just blaming on his wife. I can't come. I've married a wife. So that servant came and he showed his Lord these things. 
Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now first let me say this great supper, this great feast here, is not talking about the Lord's Supper. It hadn't yet been instituted. And it's not referring to the Supper of the Lamb, which would be at the end of the world. This is referring to the Gospel dispensation, that great Gospel Supper, that great Gospel feast, consisting of the most delightful fat things <laughs> that the Gospel message provides. This, this Supper refers to the feast of the Gospel, the preaching of the good news to sinners. And it's free to its guests. It's provided at the expense of the maker. The feast giver bade. He called many to come. And our Lord said in another place, many are called. That's not speaking of an effectual call, but the general call given under the Gospel for all sinners to come. And He said, but few are chosen. There's a specific number that no man can number. You take all the chosen of God throughout all time, and boy, that's a number that, that we couldn't count. A multitude of believers which are, com which are few compared to the number of all that have lived throughout time. And these are the ones that God chose to be conformed to Christ from the foundation of the world. And all of them will come. Everyone. But there will be many who will make sad and pathetic excuses as to why they cannot and will not come. People's excuses today are no less sad and pathetic as the ones we just read. Who buys land without looking at it first? Who buys a, a car without driving it first? Huh? Whosoever comes to Christ... He will in those wise cast out. God is able to save them, His people to the uttermost, who come unto God by Him. So why won't they come? It's difficult to understand how this glorious proclamation of the Gospel doesn't receive an, a unanimous consent from every sinner that hears it. It really is. When you think about what God has done for sinners, we ought to all fall on our faces and say, Lord, give me Christ. I, enable me to come to Him. Why don't we? To those who believe, they'll find this Gospel's a comfort and encouragement. But my message this morning is to you who will not believe and who will not come to this great supper and feast. Now the Lord mentioned here in Luke 14 in both verses 12 and 21 who 
they were that were bid to come to this gospel feast. Who are they? The poor, those with nothing to pay. The maimed, those who are wounded and sick. The halt, those who are crippled and lame. The blind, those who cannot see. These physical deformities that our Lord healed vividly picture the spiritual deformities that we all have. I've said that many times. I am the man with the withered hand. I am the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. I have no man to do anything for me but the God-man. We are, we are the woman with the issue of blood. We have a disease, a blood disease. On and on and on. We're blind, we can't see. We're deaf, we can't hear. We're lame, we can't walk. Well, the first one mentioned is they're poor. Poor in spirit. They, they have filthy rags for righteousness. They have nothing to pay. They're destitute of the bread from heaven. They're poor. But good news for the poor. Unto you is the word of salvation sent. Blessed are the poor, for they have the gospel preached unto them. That's what John, uh, that's what the Lord told the disciples of John. You go tell John that the blind see, the deaf uh, hear, the, the lame walk, and the gospel is preached unto the poor. While you have no faith, you have no virtue, you have no good work, you have no grace, you have no hope, you're poor. That's what makes this gospel so wonderful. If you are thirsty, you can come to the waters of life and you can without money and buy and you can eat without price. And let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. <laughs> no cost. Oh, it, it costs the maker. It costs the one who prepared this gospel feast but it's free to you. Secondly, those who were bid, bade to come, that word means appealed to, appealed to come to this gospel feast, they're not only poor, but they're maimed. There was a time when uh, I thought that I could work out my own salvation, but then the Lord showed me I was maimed. You, you, I've been, I was severely wounded, even dead in sin. No hands, no arms, no feet, no legs. Maim. Spiritually deformed. While there was a time you thought you could walk the road of faith. But you can't. You thought you could provide with your hands what God would accept. But you can't. You thought you could offer up your heart to God, but it's wounded and disabled and deformed and you can't. You can't believe. You can't repent. You can't obey. You're utterly undone, powerless and maimed. You can't do anything to be accepted of God. Thirdly, you're not only poor and maimed, but you're halt. You're crippled and lame, spiritually so. And some of you are halting between two opinions. And any progress that you make in spiritual things is just a limp. That's all it is. If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal or some other God be your master, then follow them. That's what Elijah said. 
No man or woman can serve two masters. You can't love two the most. To try to do so is to love one and hate the other. You're halt. You're crippled. You're lame. You're without strength. That's what God says. But the Gospel is still available to you. To you who are limping without strength, the Word of salvation has been sent. And God has crossed your path with this Gospel feast. Will you come? Will you come? Or will you continue to make excuses? Our Lord said in verse 24 here, He said, None of those men which were bidden, those who didn't come, shall taste of My supper. Well, that ought to be motivation enough, shouldn't it? But sadly, it's not. Friends, the door of the ark is still open. It's still open. But with... With thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. Friends, the door of the house on the wall of Jericho that cannot fall, that house with the scarlet cord in the window, it's still open. The door is still unlocked. Get in the house and stay in the house. Joshua said, Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Out of all Jericho, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house. Christ is that shelter. Christ is that ark. Christ is that house. Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. That's what God promises. All that are in Christ shall be saved. The wrath of God's judgment falls upon all in the ark. But those in the ark are safe. It all fell upon the ark. <laughs> I love to think about that. This is what your heavenly Joshua is saying to you. How long will you halt between life and death? And then fourthly, you're blind. You cannot see yourself. You cannot see God. Why, well, you think yourself to be good. Everything's good. Everything's with me and God is, is okay. We, I've got a good thing going with God. You can't see. You can't see clearly. You can't see the light. So you love your darkness. And this that's your condemnation. You love darkness rather than light. And the reason is your deeds are evil. You cannot see your lost state. You cannot see Christ the Savior. You cannot see His beauty that you would desire Him. You find no delight in being His child. But Christ came in the world to save sinners. And that's, that's what qualifies us for salvation. Now there is something that I finally qualify for, Chris. I'm a sinner. And that's who Christ came to save. I certainly qualified being a sinner, and so do you. And we can't deny it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You know, it's hard for me to believe that now 
uh, it's been almost 15 years that I've been a pastor. I just can't. And so many things that Brother Montgomery said to me years ago have come to roost. <laughs> Brother Henry, Brother Don, Brother Jack, Shanks, they all said to me things 30 years ago that now make perfect sense to me. They didn't at the time. You know, God's servants compel sinners to come to Christ, who is our gospel feast. Uh, it, it's a divine command. Compel them to come in. The word compel, that's a strong, strong word. It means to constrain, to drive in if you can, to pr press and to push through the door. But no servant can do that. We can only compel. We can only urge you to do so. We plant and we water, but God has to give the increase. So let me say in closing that which is burning within me. Some of you are yet unconverted, unreconciled, unregenerate men and women. And as God's servant, I compel you to come to Christ. That word compel means to necessitate. I necessitate you to come. It's necessary for you to do so in order to have life. There's life in no other but Christ. You must come to Him. Week after week, I endeavor to proclaim the good news to you. Why will you continue to turn away? Your excuses like those in our text are pitiful and sad. <laughs> Is this gospel feast nothing to you? Is Christ's death nothing to you? Is salvation being reconciled to a holy God nothing to you? Well, that was the question of our Lord. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of His fierce anger. That fierce anger was meant for me. It was meant for you. But it's inflicted upon Christ in our room instead that we might be made free. God has commissioned reproach uh, the gospel to God is commissioned to preach the gospel excuse me to every creature and God has promised in his word that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved now let me just for a minute address that I've often told you that water baptism is not salvation and I've said that because many folks wind up trusting in their baptism as their salvation, and it's wrong to do so. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a funeral when, uh, you know, in order to um, portray the one that's that's passed from life unto death is saved, they'll say, well, he was baptized or she was baptized such and such a day. And, th and all they're doing is making that person's act of baptism their salvation. That's wrong. But I do feel as though maybe I've discouraged some of you from doing so by saying that. You know, after Philip preached to the eunuch, they came to a water. And that eunuch said, 
Uh, and and the Philip didn't bring it up. The eunuch brought it up. And he said, uh, See, water, what doth hinder me from being baptized? Now, Philip didn't do like preachers do today. Well, you need to come down the aisle. You need to give your heart to Jesus. Then you need to get baptized. And then you need to join the church. And then you need to start tithing. No. He just preached unto him Christ. And the eunuch said, What hinders me from being baptized? I want to be baptized. What's, what's hindering me? There's the water right there. And Philip said, Oh, if you believe with all your heart. Believe what? The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what you have to believe. That Christ Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He kept the law perfectly for you. He satisfied God's holy justice on your behalf. And all you have to believe that is Christ did that. The salvations of the Lord. There's no salvation apart from Him. And the Scripture says, and they both went down to the water. Both Philip and the eunuch. And Philip baptized him. Now listen to me carefully. Every man and woman that bows to Christ as their only means of salvation will be baptized. What about the thief on the cross? Well, he was hindered. <laughs> he was greatly hindered. His feet were nailed to a cross. Or he would have been. But you're not hindered. When a sinner sees that all that God has done for them in Christ, they'll confess Christ publicly in baptism. You won't be able to keep them from it. So if you're trusting in Christ and hadn't been baptized, I compel you to do so. The words of our Lord are quite plain. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We're commanded to believe and we're commanded to be baptized. And some of you were baptized under a false gospel. Should you be baptized again? Well, let me answer that with a question. How could you have confessed a Savior that you didn't know? Are you ashamed of the one who loved you and gave himself for you? He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and accounted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath despite unto the Spirit of grace? My speech is simple. I compel you to flee to Christ. And I compel you to publicly profess Him in baptism. This is the God of heaven. Are we better off without Him? Are you better off to be His enemy? Will you go about to establish your own righteousness? Which is nothing but filthy rags? Will not the blind man permit another to lead them to this gospel feast? Will not the main man put his hand on my shoulder to assist him to this banquet? There's no charge or cost that would uh, discourage the poor man from coming. So I compel you that are poor and maimed and, and halt and blind to come. There's no charge. 
I look around this room this morning and there are several faces that I saw for years that I don't see anymore. Where have they gone? Did they ever really inwardly come? If you will not come, you'll be without excuse. Where have they gone? I don't know. Do you know what you're rejecting? Do you know who you're rejecting? You're rejecting Christ, your only Savior. If you will not come, you will not come. Other foundation can no man lay. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Are you hearing me? We'll soon pass from the seen to the unseen, from mortality to immortality, from time to eternity. I compel you to hear me on this. It'll be a hard, hard thing to die without Christ. It's appointed unto men once to die after this than the judgment. And I compel you not to be one to whom the Lord says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. What keeps you from coming? Do you feel too guilty? Christ died for the chief of sinners. Are you too vile? Christ came in the world to save vile sinners. I had someone tell me once, I don't think I can believe. Well, you'll never believe if you look to your believing. You're not commanded to come to faith. You're commanded to come to Christ. The sight of Christ will enable you to believe. If you can see Christ, then life has been given. Sight has been given. Well, I've done my best to compel you, but it's all in the Master's hand. He's the Master of the heart. But I do ask you, will you be a willing captive to the all-conquering Christ? There's no better place to be than a bond slave to Him. A willing slave, a willing servant. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory and our good. And for Christ's sake.